From the Carnegie Tsinghua Center in Beijing, China, this is the China in the World podcast, hosted by Paul Hanley. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the China in the World podcast. My discussion with Beijing University's Professor Jia Qingguo took place shortly after the meeting between President Trump and President Xi in Osaka, Japan, on June 29th, prior to President Trump's announcement on August 1st that his administration would launch an additional $300 billion in tariffs on Chinese imports beginning in September. We are posting the entire discussion. It will highlight how much has changed in such a short time frame, but it will also help to illuminate important factors that continue to drive the current dynamics in the U.S.-China relationship. I hope you enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the China in the World podcast. I'm very glad to welcome back to the China in the World po- podcast Dr. Jia Qingguo from the School of International Studies at uh, Beijing University, who's in town in Washington, D.C. this week for our Track 2 U.S.-China Dialogue. Uh, Professor Jia has been uh, with the School of International Studies at Peking University for some time. He served as the dean of the school for five years, was associate dean before that, altogether a period of over 20 years. He's one of China's most uh, renowned foreign policy and international relations experts, He's published extensively on the U.S.-China relationship, relations between the Chinese mainland and Taiwan, Chinese foreign policy, and Chinese politics. He's got a Ph.D. from Cornell University. He's taught at the University of Vermont, Cornell, University of California at San Diego, University of Sydney in Australia, and, of course, Peking University. He was also a research fellow at the Brookings Institution, Carnegie's neighbor here in Washington, D.C., and at the University of Vienna. Professor Jia, thank you for joining me again. Thank you very much. We've just had uh, our two presidents, President Trump and President Xi, met in Osaka at the, on the margins of the G20. The two leaders agreed to resume the trade talks after the trade talks seemed to fall apart a little bit in early May. Uh, the dust continues to settle, but it's still a little unclear what will actually what their meeting actually meant and what what will happen uh, going forward. The Trump administration has said U.S. companies can now apply for waivers to continue to sell to Huawei. Uh, There was, President Trump also said that China would purchase a lot of U.S. agricultural goods. Um, At the same time, it seems in the Chinese side, there's been a bit of cautious approach to the outcome of the negotiation. So in your view, uh, does the does the G20 agreement between the two presidents, does this in any way represent a major shift in China's negotiating posture going forward? And how has the Chinese calculation evolved since the beginning of the trade negotiations to now? Well, I think the G20 meeting between the two leaders is of uh, great importance uh, in the sense that the two sides agreed to renew negotiation mm. without uh, preconditions. Uh, and also, uh, 
they uh, express the desire that the uh, you know to uh, uh, make uh, all the efforts to uh, uh, make their best efforts to 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 push the negotiation forward. Um, I think it represents a change in Trump administration's uh, negotiation strategy. Okay. In the past, it always uh, says that we have a certain date for negotiation. Uh, if, we ca if you cannot make the concessions, we'll increase the tariffs. Now he's saying that we're not going to uh, uh, set a certain date. Uh, uh, he, he did not even mention that he's going to impose uh, additional tariffs um, uh, if uh, the negotiation does not proceed well. Uh, basically, he's saying that let's negotiate in earnest. Uh, I'm not going to you know, humiliate you mm -hmm. before the negotiation results actually come out. So I think this is a more positive approach. And I wonder uh, how much of his positioning is due to a conclusion in the Trump administration that perhaps China thought President Trump was too eager going into the political campaign. He wanted to get these trade negotiations behind him and that he was eager to reach a deal. Uh, there's also some analysis in the U.S. that the Chinese leadership watched President Trump putting pressure on the Federal Reserve to lower the interest rate, which meant that President Trump, that the economy was in trouble and President Trump was trying to deal with that. And so maybe this was a vulnerable moment for President Trump. He wanted to conclude the deal quickly and that this was an opportunity for China. I'm just giving you the narrative as I hear it often in the United States, that this was an opportunity to do what the Trump administration thought China would do which is at the 11th hour kind of pull back from their commitments and say, we've reevaluated, we're not going to do that much, we, we're going to sort of try to renegotiate this thing at the very end when, they, when, when there's a view that Trump may be more vulnerable. Was that anywhere in the thinking? Because you hear that in the U.S. Yeah, I heard uh, those uh, uh, explanations. But I believe that... Uh, uh, probably we have a, we can have a, another explanation. That is, uh, the Trump administration realizes that if it continues with the previous approach, that is heavy-handed, humiliating pressures on China, it's not going to work. Okay, let's take another approach. You know, China has agreed to. Uh, a lot of things uh, in, in terms of concessions. And uh, we made a lot of progress in previous rounds of discussions. Okay. Uh, probably another, uh, uh, another approach to handle this, uh, the negotiation uh, is better to yield result uh, than the previous approach. Okay. So uh, I, think, mm -hmm. I think this is the, the most important reason. Another thing about this delay, uh, you know, in terms of negotiation is, I think the Trump administration is not in a big hurry to uh, have a, a deal, uh, you know, if it's not a satisfactory one, mm -hmm. because uh, he's going to be condemned by the Democrats anyway. 
uh, if he whatever deal he gets. Okay, so the better deal he gets, the the more effective he can fight back at the Democrats and say, "Look, <laughs> I get more than you used to, much more." So. We had Jake Sullivan on here on the podcast recently, and I said, you know, isn't Trump vulnerable to when he concludes a trade deal that the Democrats can open it up and say, you know, it's not strong here, it's weak here, it's not a very good deal. And his point was Democrats don't have a lot of ground to stand on because Trump will just turn around and say, well, what did you get done during the eight years of the Obama administration? So in some sense, Trump may not be so vulnerable on that point as some people think. Right. There was, however, and I want to get back to the, you and I, I think, were together May 1st and 2nd, or 2nd and 3rd, the day before President Trump announced the uh, over tw Twitter um, that China had pulled back. Uh, the U.S. side received the agreement marked up with a lot of things saying they weren't comfortable with it. And this was, of course, after 10, I think, rounds of uh, negotiations. So there was... There was some, at that point, reconsideration. Um, how do you explain that? How should the U.S. side understand that? Because that will be important in terms of going forward. I think that reflects that the chi in China uh, there is a debate as to how, how much concession we can make mm -hmm. uh, without jeopardizing China's interests. So people have been waver, weighing the, the costs and benefits. Some people argue that maybe we have made too many concessions, especially uh, given the, the fact that, you know, the, the Trump administration is coming after China, not just in terms of trade, but also on other issues like Huawei, high tech, South China Sea, Taiwan, all these things. Okay. So people are saying that does it, uh, uh, does it worth it if China makes so many concessions? It's, uh, you know, one of the things that I've said is it, uh, it shows that uh, the Chinese political leaders have to deal with the politics of their own. I mean, these, what you're talking about, are po internal politics within China. Of course, of course. And I, mean, uh, no I think that no leader is that's often, of that. That's often not understood. And I think uh, it does seem to me that President Xi is now dealing with his own internal politics over that question. You know, how much is, uh, can, can we give? Um, one argument in the U.S., of course, is that, that these changes are changes that China has announced that it wants to make for its own reasons, the third plenum, the economic reform that was announced, uh, that many of those reforms, steps that were announced in 2013, if China were to move forward on those, those would answer many of the grievances of the international community, not just the United States. So is then this a question of timing uh, and when these steps are taken? Or is it a function of whether or not China is going to take these steps? I think, uh, first of all, um, the you know the two countries cannot agree uh, at the time. You know that whether the U.S. will lift the the, the tariffs uh, once the agreement is reached. Uh, basically, American uh, side send out the signal saying that they are not going to lift the tariffs uh, because they want to make sure that China is going to comply with its uh, commitments. 
Okay, this is this appears to be quite. This seems important on the Chinese side. Yeah, un, unequal. That the, that the tariffs yeah. are eliminated at, as part of the deal. Of course. And of I've, course. I've concluded that that's because if President Xi is facing politics, internal politics, he needs something to show the Chinese people at the end, if China has made compromises or concessions, that China has gotten something for that. It's necessary. I think uh, for a trade deal, both countries have to be able to defend it mm -hmm. at home. Uh, you cannot just uh, uh, make a trade deal that you cannot defend, uh, and, and saying that you are doing your best for your own people. Okay, so uh, uh, President Xi has the same uh, problem. Uh, he needs to defend the de trade deal, and if the deal looks un unequal, he cannot sell it to to the Chinese people and and his uh, his uh, uh, officials. And how much of a factor is history here? You've had, you know, the century of Chinese humiliation, the unequal treaties. We had the 100th anniversary of the May 4th movement, which were demonstrations against unequal treaties, uh, foreign powers bullying China. Um, this, the 100th anniversary, was right around the day that the trade deal collapsed. And how much of a factor is this? Because I think that would be important for listeners to understand. I think it's an important factor. Uh, uh, in modern history, uh, China suffered uh, uh, unequal treatment. But it's also important that is, uh, uh, the Chinese, China is a big country. Okay. Now uh, uh, China has risen uh, with uh, 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 more influence and capabilities. And so, uh, you know, as the leader, you don't want to receive uh, unequal treatment, right? You have to show some bit of respect uh, in, in order to get some kind of a deal, okay? So, uh, so the here equality is, uh, and mutual respect is very important. The paradox, of course, is I think that the U.S. and other developed nations in the world are beginning to look at China really as a, a near-peer competitor, no longer as a country that is lagging behind or a developing nation, um, even though the per capita GDP is, is, is much lower. Uh, at the same time, China is now the number two global economy in the world. Um, and I think that countries around the world, the U.S., Europe, in Asia are seeing China as a, a real competitor and say preferential treatment for China can no longer continue because otherwise they'll just zoom right past us and we'll never be able to catch up. And so this really seems to me, I mean, the Trump administration likes to take this on by itself. Uh, and I often say the Trump administration would be much better off by working with other countries in the world to say this is not just a U.S. concern. We want to see China move forward on its reforms, level the playing field. We can compete. We just want to do it fairly. And I hope that this process, at the end, we can get to a point where we've recalibrated in a way where that concern is addressed. Do Chinese uh, leaders and experts see it in the same framework? 
No, a lot of people buy the argument that the U.S. as the established power cannot uh, tolerate the rising power. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, adopts this policy of uh, sort of a competition or con- containment. Uh, uh, but I think uh, there are also a lot of people who, in China, who believe that you know uh, China can do better. Okay, uh, in other words, uh, China can reform itself to be more open, to be more uh, uh, you know transparent, and then uh, you know China and the U.S. can work together on that basis. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we. You know, we are not we are not supposed to strive for uh, excellence on everything. Okay, it's not possible for a person. It's not possible for a country. Okay, we should focus on the things that we can do well, and then uh, you know exchange, and then we develop this mutually dependent relationship, and we become mutually beneficial relationship, and we feel more secure in that way. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we 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 both. We feel more beneficial that way. Okay. So, uh, so th- people are thinking on very different terms. They are they are, they are debating among themselves in China. That's very interesting. And and I you know I often as you know I live in China, and so I often hear the critique that this is really about Professor Graham Allison's Thucydides trap. It's just the fact that China's rising. It's just the fact that China's growing stronger. The American psyche can't accept that. Uh, I'll acknowledge. I think there's a little bit of that, but I think that that's too convenient of a conclusion. I think that people also have to recognize that China is changing as it rises and becomes more powerful. Behavior changes, policies change, and again, I don't think it's just the U.S. I mean, you see Europe beginning to. Change their assessment and take steps to address areas where they feel China's policies may be undermining their own interest. Even while they're preserving the option to continue to cooperate with China, you see countries in Asia. Australia is a good example. Um, and so this is more than just the Thucydides trap, I believe. And I and I hope that we can work through that because I think if we, if the conclusion in China is it's just the Thucydides trap, I think. Uh, that, uh, that we won't get where we need to get to. But in terms of getting to where we need to get to, how do you see this playing out over the next several months? You said that it doesn't seem like President Trump is super anxious to get a deal anytime soon. How long do you think this will take now that you know we seem to have reset things a little bit after Osaka? I think both sides would make a lot of efforts to try to... Uh uh, push the negotiation forward. Uh, I think China's uh, on the Chinese side has shown its uh, uh, sincerity in, in doing this. Uh, I think the the Trump administration also has vested interest to have some kind of deal. Uh, is the is the Chinese leadership? Or you say the Trump administration doesn't seem as anxious to reach a deal quickly. How would you characterize the positioning of the Chinese leadership at this point? Well, Chinese leadership also, well, Chinese leadership wants to have a deal. Uh, And, of course, as quickly as possible, but on the condition that China will not uh, compromise on the 
on, on issues, principle. Okay. Uh, so basically, uh, the, the two sides are, uh, are, are trying to identify areas where they can make a progress uh, and then uh, try to manage the areas that they cannot make progress. So eventually, I think they are going, they, they, sh they are likely to end up with a deal that's significant enough, uh, but at the same time, of course, avoid, uh, uh, you know, uh, the areas where they cannot make a deal. Uh, uh, but both sides will try to sell it uh, at home. Uh, My final question to you, you know, you uh, are an observer that looks at the broad uh, you know, the broader relationship and all of the elements. And you've mentioned a number of other issues that are out there, Taiwan and the South China Sea, and you mentioned Huawei, and there's a number of other issues. How important is getting this trade deal done? How important is that to the broader relationship, in your view? It's very important. It's a stabilizer of the relationship. But I think um, the two countries... The most important thing for the two countries uh, to do in the f in the days to come is not to let uh, the the uh, uh, the the people who uh, alarmists mm -hmm. to take control of the relationship and react to each other. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So we need pragmatic pol uh, uh, approaches to to handle the relationship and and try to identify that uh, the the, the interests uh, the shared interests and stakes and try to work uh, over uh, on that basis and try to uh, uh, come out with uh, some kind of a, 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 a arrangement uh, and also at the same time try to control the areas of differences mm. uh, I believe that we are a country of the same category. Okay. In other words, we are all, you know, stakeholders in the existing international order. Okay. And we can help each other to maintain the world order uh, because both of us, we need to maintain the world order in order to maintain our protect our in own interests. I think we can work on that basis. Okay. Uh, we should not let ideology, identity, uh, those issues to to take over the relationship. Well, you've been watching this relationship a long time, and yeah. uh, those are some wise words. Thank you very much for joining us again for the China and the World podcast and for joining us this week in Washington, D.C. for this U.S.-China Civil Strategic Dialogue. Thank you. Thank again. you very much. Thank you for joining the China and the World podcast. Be sure to check out more content from the Carnegie Tsinghua Center on our website.